sir. He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. This week, I want to tell you about a show I've been listening to. It's called Command Line Heroes. If you like cyber, you're going to like Command Line Heroes. It's an original podcast from Red Hat where listeners hear epic true tales of how developers, programmers, hackers, geeks, and open source rebels are revolutionizing the technology landscape. It's an award-winning show that has been running for nine seasons. Every season has a theme, and season nine is all about the dark side of programming. Botnets, logic bombs, and of course, ransomware. If you've ever wanted to know about the origins of some of the things you hate most on the internet, this season of Command Line Heroes has you covered. So with me here today are Command Line Heroes producers Kim Wong and Johan Philippine. Thank you so much for coming on to Cyber. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right, so give me the elevator pitch for Command Line Heroes. What what is this show about broadly? Well, it's a show about tech history. Uh, as you mentioned, each each season has a theme. Uh, season three, for example, was about the history of programming languages, and season nine is all about malware. Um, but it's not just about tech. It's about the people behind the technology, the people who make things happen, who make the technology real. All right. So what's the theme of this? So the theme of this season is malware, right? How did y'all settle on that? Do you have like a big list of things that you want to get to eventually? And then just nine season deep, nine seasons deep, you're like, all right, let's do malware. How did, how did you land on this one? Um, I, I, I guess, um, I can take that. Um, so season, season nine is about malware. Um, it's, uh, the culmination of the show. So this is a, actually the final season, uh, of the show as we know it. And, uh, we wanted to do a season about security for a, a long time. Um, but it's really, uh, a really hard topic, really difficult topic to, uh, to do right. Um, and after well, we kind of went into a bunch of meetings and a bunch of uh, like uh, workshops and, and different uh, kind of like brainstorming sessions to try to um, wrap our heads around how we would do it. Um, there was a lot of different opinions thrown around in those conversations, but I think that where we landed was somewhere where a lot of different parties that were involved were very happy with where, where we landed. And um, it is a, a tech uh, history podcast. So um, we do focus on that aspect, but each episode of of the, the season and also of the show as a whole is about uh, the people behind the technology more so than the tech itself. So that is something that we kind of emphasize in Command Line Heroes. And that's something that we definitely carried all the way through to our final season. All right. So this most recent episode, the one that just came out as people are listening now, is about ransomware. I'm going to p- play a little clip from the cold open now just to give people a taste. Okay. Phone, wallet, keys. Elias is having a perfectly ordinary morning. He showered, threw back a cup of coffee, and now he's heading out the front door on his way to work. What the? Except. When he opens that door, there's a second door made of steel behind it. Is this locked? Some kind of prank? Hey, what is this? What's going on? He starts racing around the house, 
the back door is the same. It's blocked. He runs to the windows. They're covered with more slabs of steel. Every exit has been sealed off. Elias is trapped inside his own house. And then, water begins to seep in, rising from the basement. Hello? Hi there. Feeling cozy? Did you do this? Are you controlling the water? You need to let me out of here. Oh, I will. I've got the key right here in my hand. And I'll let you out. For a price. Now I want you to imagine a slightly less scary scenario. Less creepy, but much more likely to happen. Instead of someone being locked inside their home, imagine crucial files are locked inside your computer. They've been encrypted, and you can't read them. The key that's being offered up for a price is a decryption key. If you want to set your computer free, you'll have to pay the ransom. All right, so that's command line heroes. And if you're not drawn in by that and interested in what's going to what's going to happen after, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm I'm I needed when I heard that, <laughs> and I got to hear a preview before the audience did. I needed to know what came next um, because in the year of our Lord 2022, um, we're all dealing with a lot of ransomware and the threats of ransomware. You know, it, it right. feels like this thing that has mm-hmm. exploded. In the last six months to a year, especially like I, I, I basically don't answer phone calls anymore from somebody from a number that I don't recognize because it's somebody that's going to be trying to to get information out of me as part of some uh-huh. scheme or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure you know, I like to cover basics on this show. I'm sure that most of the listeners know what ransomware is at this point and have maybe been a victim of it. But for those that don't, what is ransomware? Well, ransomware is when someone takes a digital system hostage and holds it for ransom. Now, rather than, you know, physically taking your laptop away and until Liam Neeson tracks it down for you, they get remote access and encrypt your hard drive. And then at that point, it becomes extremely inconvenient to decrypt the system without the decryption key. Now, think of it like the movie A Christmas Story, right? Where Ralphie, he's saving up those serial box tops for the Ovaltine decryptor ring. At the end of each radio show, they read out a series of indecipherable letters and numbers, unless you have that ring. Now, Ralphie uses that ring to spell out a message. Now, imagine that someone has turned all the data on your hard drives to that series of letters and numbers and symbols, but they've got the only decryptor ring in the world that was specifically created just for your systems. And at that point, you can either pay up and hope that they send you the decryption key so that you get all your files back, or you can spend literally years and years of expensive computing time to try and crack that code. And for most people, that's not going to be a good option. Now, there's a third option, um, and that's if you've got regular backups, you can kind of just tell the ransomers to bugger off and restore your data from those backups. And you don't have to worry about trying to decrypt your, your hardware or your software. So my favorite part of the show is, and you've teased it already is all the history mm-hmm. that you get into. And I had never heard this story that you tell in this specific episode, kind of about the origins of ransomware before. Um, it was absolutely fascinating and takes place in such a specific period of, 
of, mm-hmm. of world history. Can you, you sh- give, give me the, without, you know, ruining your episode, can you give me the, <laughs> the, the brief version of, of what happened and like who you spoke with? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, this came up when we did our research. This is a story I hadn't known about when I, before doing all the research, the background research we did for this episode on ransomware. Uh, it, it turns out that the first widespread incident of ransomware was in 1989. Um, a man named Joseph Pop sent tens of thousands of floppy disks to AIDS researchers all over the world with a note saying that there was some useful data that they could use to help with their research projects. Now, remember, this was before the era of the World Wide Web or an, and the equivalent of the Internet. It was still very new and quite rare. So physical floppies were one of the more efficient ways of distributing software at that point. Now, when the researchers would put in the floppy disk, you know, they'd see some data. There's a, a file called survey, um, but there was also a hidden program that would run and it would encrypt their hard, hard drive. Upon rebooting their machines, they'd get a message saying that to access that data, they'd need to send money to a P.O. box in Panama, about either $189 or $378. That's about $400 to $800 adjusted for inflation. And then that way, they'd get their decryption key and access to their files. Um, and this this was you know decades ago, and this was the first instance of, of the uh, uh, of ransomware that we know about in any case. And what were the consequences of this on AIDS research at the time? Well, uh, some savvy researchers, and we, we spoke to one of the people involved, uh, they were able to find the decryption key in the malware's code itself, right? And they were able to share that solution, and, and, and quite a few researchers were able to decrypt their files and, and get access to their research again. Um, unfortunately, because... InfoSec and, and and these communities weren't quite as established back then. Uh, that that solution wasn't quite as uh, widely distributed as it could have been. Um, so a lot of researchers lost a lot of their of their research data, uh, and it was quite devastating. So how was this? How like can we get into a little bit more about how this person was caught? And is this typical? And you know how much AIDS research did we lose? Do we know? Um, I don't know about the AIDS research part, but the thing I, I found most fascinating is, um, and this kind of like speaks to where the episode kind of goes from that, that kind of origin story, um, with, uh, in regards to catching, uh, the ransomer. So the, the thing about it is, is like making, like taking over or hijacking a digital system and, and locking it down, like, so to speak, um, locking people out of it. It's, that's kind of the easy part. The the hard part is to get the money. Like back in the day, uh, you know, like you had like PO boxes and people had to kind of like do like a drop off or something. But but the thing about it is that's in the physical world. So you're talking about like you know digital world. It's kind of hard to track people down more so than it's in the physical world. So how a lot of ransomers got caught isn't necessarily when they did the crime. It's that someone has to drop off the money they track the money. So like, <laughs> you know, that that's kind of how people got caught. But now things have changed quite a bit. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. I mean, we cover crypto hacks on this show quite a bit. And, uh, you know, we know how hard attribution of that stuff can be. How easy, right. how much easier it is to move money around now. Uh-huh. Uh, it's wild to think that it all started with floppy disks and AIDS research and a P.O. box. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. How do you, yeah. when you're researching for a show like this, how do you find case zero? Is this something that there has been a lot of academic study about? Uh, well, because we deal with tech history, I mean, a lot of the times it's it's recorded, right? There are news articles that are posted online. Um, there's there's great archives where we can find a lot of information about uh, ransomware or botnets or when these things first started to appear, right? Because it's it's new and it's uh, th- things that people are interested in. So we can find a lot of, of records out there. I mean, it's hard to absolutely be sure that the instances that we do track down are the absolute first, right? Um, so this one for malware, for example, we, we think that as far as we can tell, this was the first instance of ransomware. Um, but we can't be absolutely sure, right? On a wide scale, yeah, this is the one that was reported on, the first one we could find any details on. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that we do on the show is we don't actually ever call it case zero just because we, we absolutely can't be sure about that. Um, the other thing we do over the season is we don't always focus on the first, right? Um, for, for our season, uh, for our episode on botnets, for example, we went with one of the most widespread and the biggest botnets that we could find, but it wasn't the first one that was ever created, right? So it, we find the the, sto- the the stories where we can get a lot of interesting details and, and, and kind of tell that story again without it necessarily being like, okay, this is the first one, because the first one isn't always necessarily the most interesting. Right. Sometimes uh, even uh, the origin story for some of the attacks that we cover, um, for example, Trojans, um, some of those uh, have a very, or I think like, this is not the Trojan episode. I think this is the the worm episode where you have, uh, it's kind of like a very innocuous kind of origin. Some mm. of these malware attacks were, made with the purest intentions like someone trying to for example like make copies of a game that they want to share on a network for example and that ended up being the origin story for one of the most uh i guess insidious of the malware attacks so um you know it's we 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 focus on those types of stories because it's not necessarily like the distinction of being the first but it's definitely something that makes it like an interesting tale that people may or may not know I also love how many primary sources you're able to track down on the show um, because this is all stuff that has, with a couple of exceptions, mostly played out in the past like 40 years, right? 40 uh-huh. to 50 years. You're a lot of the people that are involved in this stuff are still alive and you get to talk to them, right? Does that play, a, is that like ever a consideration? Which, which one of the stories you can cover? Like who has the best characters essentially? <laughs> uh yeah, every now and then, you know, we try and f- find stories where it's like, oh, we can actually track down a person who was involved or the creator of, you know, when we did uh, a season on hardware programming languages, you know, the creator of the programming language or the someone who helped design the software, helped design the hardware, right? So a lot of the times, because it's more recent history, we're, we're able to track them down and you know ask them to be part of the show. Um, a lot of the times, they're, they're pretty happy to talk to us. M- many of them have heard of Red Hat, and they're happy to, 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 to take part. Um, in our ransomware episode, for example, uh, in that story we were just talking about with the, the AIDS researchers, we actually got someone who was involved in, try- in um, coming up with the, the, the decryption method and, and, and helping to undo some of the damage that had been done. Uh, his name's Eddie Willems. Uh, and, and he had an interview with us. Um, 
we also had Monty Young uh, on the on the episode who kind of put out a warning, you know, a couple decades ago about what was coming for ransomware. Um, so a, a lot of the times, yeah, we're able to to track people down and and, and have them on the show, and that's a, just a wonderful primary resource that we're able to, you know, they're able to share their story, and, and that'll be uh, there forever. Um, but we are also starting to lose some of those pioneers that affected the world of technology. And uh, Kim's got a wonderful story from from season <laughs> six about the the tremendous amount of work that she did trying to cover one of those personalities. Yes. Uh, season six, uh, specifically of Mainline Heroes, was about uh, Black inventors. So uh, specifically Black inventors uh, in the tech space who have, for whatever reason, had their innovations kind of um, obscured or, or not recognized. Um, we featured people like Gladys West, Jerry Lawson, Mark Hanna. Uh, a lot of those names are not well known, but they are responsible for some of the uh, most kind of recognizable uh, tech that we see, uh, for example, Gladys West and her uh, her formulas that she worked on as a mathematician are kind of the foundation of what we um, of a what they call a geodesy, which is a uh, kind of a map of the globe. So that's kind of like the foundation of what we know now today as global positioning system or GPS. Um, uh, Jerry Lawson was a a black uh, inventor who worked in the video game space. Who was the uh, for, was the creator of the as far as we well, there's there's a little bit of distinction like between like whether or not he or like there was another company that was kind of coming up at the same time. But he is uh, widely recognized as one of the pioneers in video game technology that created. Uh, a console that could play more than one game. So back in the day, you could only, you know, you bought Pong and you got Pong and you didn't get anything else. But uh-huh. um, uh, he created a way for uh, interchangeable cartridges to be used, which is something that we kind of like take for granted now, uh, buying really expensive video game consoles. I'm a gamer, just in case you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love video games. Um, so this was a great episode for me. Uh, but a lot of these names, like I said, uh, people uh or like on the street people don't really know who these people are and they're responsible for some of the most you know recognizable products and and Mm -hmm. technologies that we've seen it's getting harder uh like johan said to tell these stories because jerry lawson has passed on and i think gladys west is in her uh late 90s uh these people are getting older and older and sometimes in some cases uh they've passed on and their their story has just not been recorded or told at all in the case of uh a Gladys Perkins, who we also covered uh, in season six. She was an aerospace engineer who helped um, uh, who helped do the programming that was able to what that allowed us to map a landing trajectory for landing on the moon for landing like a, a non-piloted or like unmanned uh, spacecraft on the moon for the very first time in our history as humans. Uh, so without her, there is no Apollo mission. There is no, you know, there is no Buzz Aldrin. There is no uh, One Small Step for Man. Mm-hmm. But most people don't even know who she was. And unfortunately, she has passed on as well. So there are some situations uh, we're running into a few situations in, in the show where uh, the person is older or the person has just, you know, left us, unfortunately, and it's getting more and more challenging to tell stories like this. Do you have a sense of urgency about the work now, given that? Yes, <laughs> I do. Uh-huh. I do. I definitely do. I, I think that um, we only think about history uh, when it's time to tell the stories and not really it's happening. 
Um, I think that there needs to be more attention put specifically towards tech history, specifically um, with people from marginalized groups and and groups that don't you know go underrepresented in technology. Um, I think that uh, recording history as it happens is becoming more and more imperative. And I think that uh, this is a wonderful space, obviously, to do so. Um, there are other ways, but I think that people should start by and large thinking about these stories as they're happening and not so much as looking in the rearview mirror. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We will be right back after this. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. I am Matthew, and we are talking about Command Line Heroes. At the top of the show, you said that there were a lot of high-level discussions about how you would even go about covering something like malware. I'm curious about like what considerations you take when you're approaching a topic like this, because it is something that involves the bleeding edge of criminal behavior, hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. what, like what were those conversations yeah. like? Extensive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Spirited. Uh, yeah. Spirited. <laughs> we, and this is something even, even after we decided uh, to, to do a season on that was security focused and on, on malware specifically. Right. We didn't want to make a show where we, you know, explain to our audience how to go for like we did want to hand them a handbook essentially like oh mm. you know you want to do crime with malware here's you know here's where you get started or here are the resources that you can go find to find out more mm. right so we we very consciously um did more of a, a historical bent right like where mm. does this malware come from what are the ideas that that underpin this kind of, of criminal activity um how how does it work without actually giving, you know, technical details, right? So that people can understand when something's happening to their machines or to their systems, they can maybe identify the kind of attack that, that that's being um, uh, launched against them, right? And then they can figure out what to do about it. Um, and then the end of the episode is, the end of most episodes are a little bit about like, okay, how do you protect yourself? Um, how do you stop these attacks? Or how do you prevent these attacks from happening uh, to you, right? So we're... we're all throughout the season of, of not just choosing the topic, but putting the episodes together as well. We were trying to very consciously uh, avoiding things that would, you know, either glorify or, or, mm. or show people how to do something that is, you know, so obviously terrible for all mm-hmm. the people, the victims who, um, uh, who are, are, you know, who are the receiving end of these attacks. Mm. Glorify is an interesting word because there are so many, especially in the early days of this stuff, Mm -hmm. there are so many stories about uh, hacktivists using these, Mm. using these tools in a way that we may find admirable, uh, but did lay the groundwork for some pretty awful things that came later. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, With that in mind, What's some of the more shocking things you've learned doing this research? Any season doesn't have to be malware. Well, for me personally, uh, the most shocking research we ever did was um, putting season six together. And like we mentioned a little earlier, that was the one about black inventors and in, in technology. Um, because none of the, I didn't know any of the names that we ended up covering uh, beforehand. And, you know, the, that that's, that's backwards. They should be household names. These people all had such great and huge effects on the tech industry and, and history at large 
that it's really a, a shame that uh, you know it 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 took so long for for me to learn about them and for our wider audience too as well. Yeah, I I agree completely with with the, uh, that answer. Um, I. I came to the show in season six and uh, stayed on. I was invited to come on. And then I, they said, make yourself at home. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it, for this season specifically, I think that um, the, and I think for me, the Trojan episode, which is, mm. I think, episode two, um, you know, I I grew up thinking of Trojan attacks as being something very, very specific and very like not not very flexible. Little did I know that, you know, uh, you know, people with, you know, ill intentions were taking uh, these different types of malware and kind of like shaping them into whatever tool they need to do to, to do whatever bad thing it is they want to do. Like I, I had, I had no idea uh, not, not necessarily the sophistication because I I do have an appreciation for that, but I, I didn't know how, uh, how engineered it really was, like not just from uh, a code standpoint, but from a human element um, to try to fool a person into thinking that this is a legitimate uh, website, to fool a person into thinking that this is something that is safe uh, and and how far uh, people will go and, and how convincing it is. Sometimes you even have, you know, apps that are out there. And I used to download apps willy-nilly uh then i made this season and then i was like oh okay maybe not everything i find on a marketplace is trustworthy um Mm -hmm. so there there's that it it's this season specifically has changed a lot about how even i as a person who works at red hat and and is involved in tech industry pretty you know regularly daily um in my work it's made me think twice about a lot of different things i just assume to be the truth yeah, I would say that one of the running themes of cyber recently has been that 90% of hacking and online crime is all social engineering. Mm-hmm. It's yep. just about getting people to click something. Uh, a lot of the technical stuff these days, not so much in the past, but a lot of the technical aspects these days are outsourced to to huh. something that's like generating it, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. it is incumbent on the person using it to figure out the way to scam someone into being fished. Or you know, taking mm-hmm. that phone call, that kind of thing. Um, so I mean, that does it. That's that's super interesting. And yeah, I would also, uh, I've got a colleague uh, who's one of the uh, a brilliant staff writer at Motherboard, Joseph Cox. Does not own, does a lot of the reporting on this stuff. Does not own mm-hmm. a smartphone. Um, and you hear that mm-hmm. initially, and you mm-hmm. make fun of him for it, and then you start learning the things that he knows. Yeah, and you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe. Maybe you made the right call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so one of the one of the anecdotes that I love in the ransomware episode specifically is how that moment was a warning mm-hmm. um, that predicted a lot of what would come later that we're living with now. Uh, can we? Can you talk about what that how the shape that warning took and if we heeded it or not? Uh, well, so we had that initial story the, the, with the AIDS ransomware, right? And that kind of shocked everyone. Um, but the perpetrator was caught. And I think, you know, it, it took many, many years for it to come again, right? In that intervening time, um, 
two scientists, uh, one of them, Moti Young, uh, you know, they, they discovered that there was a, another way to do this ransomware attack that would be much more dis- devastating using uh, asymmetric encryption, where you couldn't just find the decryption key in the, in the software or in the, in the code of the, 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 the ransomware itself, right? Um, and he and his partner, they published a book uh, and a lot of uh, the community at the time just kind of ignored it or said, this is overblown. This isn't, this will never happen, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and people didn't really heed the warning. Um, years later, obviously with the rise of the internet and the rise of uh, cryptocurrency, especially, which made the payment uh, uh, side of it a little bit more simple and a little easier to uh, anonymize, not completely, but um you know, you're not putting down your address with a PO box, right? Um, uh, but that that you know really precipitated the the crisis that we have today. Now, you know, it's 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 tough to 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 think ahead like that when the the when the warning comes that oh, you know, sometime in the near future this is going to be a problem. You know, what what are you going to do about it at the time? Um, especially since a lot of people. Uh, aren't really protecting themselves against the threats that already exist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, there was, you know, viruses were running rampant, Trojans were running rampant, uh, and it took a really long time for us to internalize the digital hygiene that we have today of like, okay, don't click that link or don't open your phone, right? It took, it took many years for us to adapt to the existing threats, which are still out there, by the way, and people still fall for it. Um, so to even, you know, put those aside and to think of uh, a threat that's coming from the future, like I, it's, you know, I don't blame people for not heeding that warning sooner, right? Mm. There's a lot to, there's a lot to keep track of and um, to focus on something that isn't a threat yet when you're still trying to handle the stuff that's out there already is, it's a tall ask, right? So at the heart of this ransomware episode specifically is this tool that is mostly a good right encryption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the tool turn is turned against us. Yeah. Uh, and you, know, you listen to the, the rest of the episodes of command line heroes that, or the, of this season specifically rather that feels like it's a theme that keeps recurring. And Kim, you kind of had already talked about this a little bit. And I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that. Sure. Uh, the season, you know, it's all about the horrors of malware because it 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 is it is something that it kind of plays on uh, the fears of both people who are of uh, you know very uh, removed from technology, but also people who are like steeped in it and like you know work in infosec and are like surrounded at all times by it. Um, I. I feel like I'm a, again, I play a lot of video games. So, uh, the first things, uh, that I think about when I think about ransomware are, uh, two games. Uh, both of them ha- happen to be in my favorite video game franchise or one of my favorite, favorite video game franchises, uh, Silent Hill. So you have Silent Hill, uh, four, which is the room, which, uh, has the main character kind of stuck in a room and it's locked and you can't go out. Um, and then you have, uh, later on like PT, which is way, you know, like very famous, um, game from a few years back um that 
has a person kind of doing an eternal loop kind of within this house and they can't escape. And you have to kind of decode, much like Silent Hill 4, you have to kind of find these different clues and different elements to decode uh, a way out of of the trap, out of the house. So um, th- these, you know, if you if you listen to a lot of our beginning motifs and our beginning, like the cold opens of, of each, each episode, you'll hear that each of them kind of evokes a certain horror trope. Uh, ransomware is definitely that trope of like, uh, you know, your Silent Hill, your Saw, where you have people who are trapped inside of a space and they need in order in order to get out, they need to figure out uh, some kind of secret message or some kind of secret code or some kind of like, you know, secret meaning behind uh, the events of how they got there, for example. So um, you'll find that in a lot of different episodes, each episode is kind of representative of a, of a different theme. The world would be a better place if only Henry could figure out how to escape his apartment and solve the mystery of the people being set on fire. Yes. Uh, that's that's a deep cut for all the Silent Hill heads <laughs> that are listening. It. I love it. Um, well, thank you both so much for coming on to Cyber and walking me through Command Line Heroes. Where can people find the show? Well, you can find it at redhat.com slash command line heroes or whichever podcast platform you use, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher. We should be on all of those and, and more. Kim, Johan, thank you both so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. 